Paul writes his letter to the Philippians from a prison cell. This letter that begins with, I thank my God every time I think of you. This letter that asks, make my joy complete. This letter that proclaims, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. None of that sounds like a prison sentence. But that's Paul, living the God-sized dream, light in the darkness. From the third chapter of Philippians, verses 4b through 14, hear the word of God. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his suffering by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made, it, made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. In a prison cell, Paul is free as a bird. It is as if he is trying to tell us something. Maybe he knows that every single one of us gets locked into a prison cell from time to time, one kind or another. A prison cell can come by way of a disagreement or a misunderstanding that leads to deep hurt and a lack of trust that brings, oh, well, you can't trust anyone, and soon you're building walls. You're building walls for solitary confinement. I suppose a prison cell can be formed when the ailment comes upon you and you no longer have the freedom to go anywhere or do anything and frustration fills the heart. I didn't do anything wrong. Why, why do I deserve this? It's a life sentence. A jail cell might be just an attitude that you cannot escape from. It follows you wherever you go. And so on a beautiful day that the Lord has made, you can get stuck behind bars, feeling no hope. You watch the news, and yet there's another war, another small group of extremists who always seem to 
be in control somehow. What's the world coming to? You can't climb out of the depression. How many prison terms are you serving right now over things you said or the hurt you feel or the worries you have, the wounds that you carry? Maybe uh, the easier question to answer is, how on earth does Paul do it? <laughs> he's in prison, and you'd swear he's on cloud and high. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, 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 rejoice. How does he do that? Well, maybe you do it for him. <laughs> By that, I mean what may make Paul break out of prison is that we, the church, come to him. He tells us that in the opening sentences to this letter. I thank my God every time I remember you constantly praying with joy, with joy, with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing of the gospel from this time until now. I can't tell whether he's flown out of prison and has gone to church or whether the church has come to him. <laughs> Just in a memory or two, suddenly, just in the memory of the church, suddenly, everybody comes in. One by one, they come into the mind. One by one, and where one or two or more are gathered, Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, is present. I thank my God every time I think of you. That's the power of the church. I happened to visit someone on Friday afternoon who was stuck in a room. The wound healing slowly. But I got in, and the lights were on. This was not a prison cell, and the joy was full, and he greeted me with a big smile, and he said, the church has been so amazing. I've received all these visits and cards and letters, and when he said cards, my mind went to earlier in the week. On Tuesday, I went down to the cafe to get a cup of coffee, and there around a table, some people writing cards, care cards. Now, I don't know this, but I suppose those who were writing the notes, putting down the words, were preaching to themselves, too. I mean, you start writing words of care and hope and prayer and thinking of you, and those words begin to work on you, too. Anyway, I, I got to see the work of the note on Tuesday. I got to see the results of the note on Friday. I thank my God every time I think of you. It's been great. The church has been wonderful. It's not a prison cell. Someone asked me this week, what percentage of the stuff you encounter as a pastor makes you crazy versus that which gives you joy? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. But it's got to be more joy than crazy. Otherwise, I'd stop doing it. Paul certainly has the ability to share with us all the stuff in the church that drives him crazy. How it... He, it gets stuck on the things of the flesh. That's what the church does. Gets involved with doctrine over good news. He says, look, if you want to talk about dotting the I's and crossing the T's of faith, I've done it. 
I've done it better than anyone. I've got my religion down, circumcised on the eighth day, member of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, blameless. It all adds up to being faithful in most books. But with Jesus, things don't add up as much as they subtract away. Sacrifice. Jesus, who did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, emptied himself. In Christ, Paul's very faithful resume is wadded up and thrown into the, the rubbish, he says. Paul is talking death, not the stop-of-the-heart death, but the death that comes when you give your life away. He's talking about faith, not his faith, but the faith of Jesus Christ to the cross, giving his life away for all. You have to give away your life, you understand? You know, I understand that through those whom I've met who were on death row. By that I mean those people in my ministry whom I have met who knew they were going to die, and they made their peace with it. I remember taking an elder by the name of Bob Blake to go see a parishioner by the name of Dan Cagle. It would be the last time I ever saw Dan. We were taking communion. Bob read the scripture. I said the words of institution. On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And somewhere in there, Dan interrupted the whole thing. And he said, Bob, I'm sorry. And he told of an event so very long ago, but an event that he carried with him in his heart for such a long, long time, through the years. And Bob, who was caught off guard by it all, hugged Dan in his bed. And let me tell you, Bob was not a hugger. And they both wept like brothers. Dan just needed to give it away. Bob just needed to give it away. And I thank God every time I think of that event. I think of Paul Lyle. Paul used to be an usher here in the church. Paul, tall Paul. He was, I don't know how tall Paul was. He big, big Paul, bald Paul. He wore an orange jacket as if he needed any more attention, but he was a Tennessee fan. First time I met him, he said, if you catch me with my eyes closed during your sermon, it's only because I trust you. <laughs> Who tells a preacher that? But Paul had it in his DNA to empty himself of all that. 
stuff. When he was a kid, his mom pulled him aside and said to him, Preacher's coming over for dinner. Best behavior now. I don't want you to tell any of the family secrets. And Paul nodded and went out and then came back into the room and said, Mom, what are our family secrets? She said, I don't know, son, but you're going to find them. I guarantee you. And sure enough, the preacher came over for dinner and in between passing the bread and do you want some more tea? Paul told the preacher, Daddy and I had to miss church on Sunday. Daddy was teaching me how to play poker. Mm. (laughs) Paul didn't keep anything inside. He had to let it go. And when he had cancer, the most beautiful conversations I think I've ever been a part of were with Paul Lyle, who just was so vulnerable, sharing his heart, telling the details of the church and all that people meant to him. And in it all, Jesus Christ came into a hospital room, into a bedroom, nowhere to go, but up, owning the resurrection. I have story after story, I think, of people given a death sentence, and suddenly they have so much life as if they were owning up to the resurrection. And I think, you know, there's nothing really to stop us from doing that now. Right? I mean, if we're stuck, if you're stuck in a prison cell of hurt or loss or pain or sadness... The body of Christ can come in with just a thought. And the power of Christ can be found in letting go. Even when you're skin and bones, there's so much power, so much power to just give away. Why would anyone want to spend time in a prison cell when you can own up to the resurrection? (laughs) I thank my God every time I remember you. Make my joy complete. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 